But Lord, may we take of your word. And Lord, may we feast on it and work it deep within our hearts and leave this place excited and, and encouraged and edified in every way because we are here in Jesus' name. Amen. So we've been in, in that section of Isaiah starting in chapter 36 that even as we've seen the prophecies of Isaiah given against the children of Israel, both the house of Israel and Judah, concerning Assyria. And all of a sudden, the Assyrians are knocking on the door of Jerusalem. They already had taken off the ten northern tribes of Israel, the house of Israel, off into captivity. They march southward. They surround Jerusalem. And what we have seen as it is Shennacherib, the king of Assyria, he's hurling these threats against Hezekiah in Jerusalem. And the reason that we've taken our time over the last few weeks looking at chapters 36 and into chapter 37 is because in the day in which we're living in, we can have the enemy surround us and use those same tactics. He will mock us. He will intimidate us. He will bully us. He'll try to deceive us. And one of the tools that the enemy has that he tries to do and, and the fiery dart that he throws at us is in, to instill fear. He, he wants us to be fearful because he knows if he can get us to be gripped with fear in our hearts that we'll begin to make bad decisions spiritually. And, and that's what Shennacherib, as uh, here is the Rabshakeh, the chief of staff, giving this message to Hezekiah's guys that are there and, and intimidating and bullying. And those are the same tactics the enemy uses against you and me. And all of a sudden, as we have seen that here is Shennacherib saying, who is this God that Hezekiah is telling you to trust in? And, and how do you think that God, your God's going to be able to defend you in Jerusalem? Don't trust in the Lord. And what he does is he tries to get us to just fold spiritually, not look to the Lord. And here is Hezekiah, what we saw at the end of chapter 36, as the message was given to him, that he went into the house of the Lord. And I think it's important for us to understand that and be you know, reminded of that, because when the enemy comes against us, it's important that we come to the house of the Lord. That we go to him. And that's what Hezekiah does. He goes to the Lord and he prays. He comes to the house of the Lord. And it's, that's why it's so important that we're in fellowship with one another. The Lord made the church. And he made it a place to where you and I can come and be edified and encouraged and prayed for and blessed in every way. That's why it's important for us to be in fellowship. And the reason that I'm mentioning that is because I do talk to a number of people that they're Christians. Yes, the Lord loves them. Uh, yes, the Lord you, you know, desires to work on their behalf. But they isolate themselves. And they isolate themselves by not being in fellowship with other believers. And the Lord has the body of Christ that is here so we can be blessed and benefited in every way and especially when the enemy is coming against us. That we have people here to encourage you in the word of God, to pray for you, to make those relationships that, that you have um, in the Lord with other brothers and sisters that are going to benefit you as you have the attacks of the enemy coming against you and to remind you that we're to go to the Lord. So make sure that you 
don't pull away from the Lord. And that's what a lot of people will do. When they're going through difficulties or feel the attacks or going through trials and, and tribulations, that they'll begin to pull away from the Lord rather than drawing to the Lord and to God's people that can be there to, to be a blessing to them. So that's what Hezekiah does. And all of a sudden, uh, as they go to Isaiah, Isaiah, as we saw last week in chapter 37, uh, he said to them that uh, this attack is not going to happen. And it was Shennacherib that he goes and he fights against the Egyptians and the Ethiopians, um, and they leave. And perhaps Hezekiah is thinking, wow, maybe this is what uh, God is doing to, to you know, work against Shennacherib, and, and they've left, and maybe this is how God's going to work in a way that we're going to be delivered. But then all of a sudden the message comes back that, hey, we're just taking care of some business. We're fighting against the Egyptians, the Ethiopians. You know Hezekiah and the other kings that were told that they're not going to help you. And woe to the rebellious children of Israel, for you take counsel, but none of me. And you're going to Egypt, and you're going to Ethiopia. And you see, the Lord had been telling them that those uh, forces of Egypt and Ethiopia were, were not going to help them. And in returning in rest, you shall be saved, and quietness and confidence will be your strength. But you would not come. You wouldn't come. Hey, when we have the enemy surrounding us and threatening and bullying us and intimidating us, the Lord is saying, come to me. I want you to come to me. And as you do come to me, know this, that you shall be saved and quietness and confidence shall be your strength. So that's what Hezekiah is doing. And all of a sudden the message comes back as Shennacherib and, and the army and, and said, you know, don't think that, that we're leaving. Hey, we're coming back and we're going to destroy you. And none of the other gods of the other nations were able to, to help. And, and your God is not going to be able to help at all. And Shennacherib made the mistake by lumping those other false gods with the true and the living God. And what did Hezekiah do? He went to the house of the Lord. He went and spread out that note that, and letter that was given to him and began to pray again. So another thing to keep in mind, that the enemy is going to keep coming at you. He's going to keep attacking. He's going to keep coming at us because it's a battle as long as we are on this side of eternity. I can't help but think about Moses, the man of God, that Moses, you got one more battle. You're going to battle against, you know, the Amorites and, and, and the Midianites. And, and, and you're going to battle them. And, and then I'm going to take you home to be with your people. And all through our lives, we're going to have that spiritual battle that has taken place. But it reminds us again, as Hezekiah once again went to the house of the Lord and prayed, that we keep going to the Lord and it doesn't stop. That we keep drawing close to him and reading his word and standing on his promises. So Hezekiah began to pray. And we looked at that prayer last time as he, he is praying. We learned so much from it that uh, Hezekiah is saying, you're our God. It, it, as he's reminded of the relationship that they have with the Lord. And you and I, as we discussed last time, that as Galatians chapter 4 tells us, that you and I, that we have the spirit of adoption. We, we're, we can cry out, Abba, Father. You're my father, and he hears us, and he sees us. And then Hezekiah says that you're the true God. 
You're the God of all the nations. And, and he's wanting God's glory to be revealed. And that's where we end it talking about that even in the brokenness of our lives, that God's light and glory is going to be revealed through us as we just continue to look to him and trust in him and rest in his love. So let's pick it up at verse 21. As Isaiah, then the son of Amos, sent to Hezekiah, saying, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, because you have prayed to me against Shennacherib, king of Assyria. So here is another message coming back to Hezekiah. Uh, Hezekiah, because you have come and because the Lord says you have prayed to me against Shennacherib. Remember chapter 30? That before this time, the house of Israel, before they went off into captivity and in Judah, they were looking to align themselves with Egypt, but you would not come. And now the Lord says that, that you have come because you cried out to me. There's such power in prayer. And it's important for us to stop and pray when we're upset, when we feel the attacks, when we're going through difficulties. It's important for us to pray even in the good times to stay close to him. And you see, because you've prayed and trusted in me and cried out to me, oh, if we would just do that. There are times that we talk to people, I know I do, that they'll tell me how upset they are and I got a problem when we got to do something and what should I do? And I'll ask them, have you prayed? Oh, no, I haven't prayed. I haven't had time, but we got to do something. And I'll say, let's just stop and let's just pray. Let's just go to the Lord. And we'll go to the Lord and pray. And I can be guilty of that as well. You know, I can be upset. I can be frustrated, even as, you know, recently I can think about it. And I'm up at night and I'm thinking about it. And the Lord says, Jeff, why don't you just stop and quit stewing? And why don't you pray? Because I want to minister to you. And it's such a good principle for us that when we do feel overwhelmed or attacked or whatever that we're going through, that we keep going back to the Lord and crying out to him. So because you've prayed, in verse 22, this is the word which the Lord has spoken concerning him. The virgin, the daughter of Zion, has despised you, laughed you to scorn. The daughter of Jerusalem has shaken her head behind your back. Whom have you reproached and blasphemed? Against whom have you raised your voice and lifted up your eyes on high against the Holy One of Israel? So here the Lord is saying that, that Jerusalem is like a daughter to me that has been despised. And, and whom have you reproached? Shennacherib. Whom have you raised up your voice? Well, know this, that you have raised up your voice and blasphemed the Holy One of Israel. And then in verse 24, by your servants you have reproached the Lord and said, by the multitude of my chariots I have come up to the height to the mountains, to the limits of Lebanon. I will cut down all its tall cedars and its choice cypress trees. I will enter its farthest height into his fruitful forest. In verse 25, I have dug and drunk water with the soles of my feet. I've dried up all the brooks of defense. So in this, God used the Assyrians to bring judgment against the house of Israel. We know that. But God sees Jerusalem is going to deal with the Assyrians as Judah is crying out to the Lord. And here the Lord is saying, listen, Shennacherib, that you have come against me, the Holy One of Israel. 
And I've allowed you to cut down the, the cedar trees, the mighty tall cedar trees of Lebanon. There's this poetic language that is being used. You have entered its farther, uh, uh, farthest height. Uh, you have dug and drunk water. You, you have dried up all the brooks of defense. I have allowed you to do that against the other nations. In verse 26, did you not hear long ago how I made it? From ancient times I formed it. Now I have brought it to pass that you should be for crushing fortified cities into heaps of ruins. Therefore, their inhabitants had little power. They were dismayed and confounded, and they were as the grass of the field, and the green herb, and the grass of the housetops, and the grain blighted before it is grown. So here the Lord is saying, I have allowed you to come against these nations, to crush these fortified cities. You know, their inhabitants had very little power. We know that the Assyrians were a mighty army. Nobody could stand against them. Uh, other armies, even Egypt and Ethiopia, that tried to come together uh, against the Assyrians, they cowered at the sight of the Assyrian troops. They tortured people. They were brutal. They put fish hooks in their mouths as they captured people and drug them off to Assyria. They, they were so mean. Whole cities and villages would get up and they would leave and travel long distances just when they heard that the Assyrians were coming. The Assyrians would, would kill people and they'd put their corpse on poles and line the roads uh, with those corpses hanging on the poles. So when people walked by, they said, the Assyrians have been here, instilling fear and intimidation in the known world here in the Middle East as they're marching and taking over cities and nations. I have allowed you to do that. But then verse 28, but I know your dwelling place. And you're going in and you're coming in. You're going out and you're coming in and you rage against me. And because your rage against me and your tumult have come up to my ears, therefore I will put my hook in your nose and my bridle in your lips and I will turn you back by the way which you came. I know your dwelling place. In other words, Shennacherib, I know where you live. I like what the King James says. I know your abode. And I'm going to deal with you. And just as you've put fish hooks in the mouths of people and drug them off, I'm going to put hooks in your mouths and I'm going to drag you back to where you came from. I'm going to deal with you, Shennacherib, and with your army. What this tells me here is something very important for you and I to keep in mind, and that is God is in control. And we can look at the world today and, and we can be frustrated with our leaders. We can be frustrated uh, with those who are trying to solve the world's problems. And whatever stance you take, whatever political party you belong to, uh, we know that our hope is not Washington, D.C. Now, we are to pray for our president. We are to pray for our nation. And we are to do that. And, of course, we look at things and, and we have different opinions and thoughts and, and all of that. Of course, all of us have that. But understand this, that God is in control. That brings comfort to me. And as I look at the things that are going on around the world, not only with our leaders and our president, that as I look at what's going on in the Middle East and in Europe, I know that the things that are taking place, it's all culminating to where Jesus Christ is going to come back and he's going to rule and reign and he's going to sit upon the throne and that he's going to rule and reign with a rod of iron over all the nations when he establishes his kingdom. And I know that the things that are taking place, the Lord is allowing it, even as Romans chapter 13 says, that he sets those in authority. 
And so the Lord isn't surprised when somebody wins an election, all right? He's not going up there, rats, man, I didn't think that would happen. He's in control and he allows it. And when you look at it, look at it through the lens of Scripture. That he is using our president, whether you like him or not. In ways that, you know, as I think about it, that he recognized Jerusalem as the capital of Israel. And we notice we get closer to the return of the Lord that, that, that Israel is the epicenter of end time prophecy. But then Jerusalem, Israel is the hour hand. We're in the last hours, the last days. As the fig tree budded and they became a nation. But then Jerusalem is the minute hand. And I believe what we're going to see is we're going to see here in the days ahead that there's going to be a lot of news concerning the Temple Mount area where the temple is going to be rebuilt, uh, where that's the epicenter, where God's temple used to stand. But, but the Temple Mount area, which is the most um, disputed piece of real estate in all the world, that we're going to see more news concerning that. That's the second hand. And as we see leaders, the, what is going on, I can look what's going on with the president of Turkey, with the, the mullahs of Iran, the you know, uh, Putin of Russia, what's happening in Europe. And I can see that the pieces of the puzzle are coming together. It's fitting into what God said is going to happen in the last days. Absolutely amazing. We'll have to do another prophecy update. You know, I usually do it once a year. I think now that we need to do it every few months. Things are happening so fast. Really, I'm serious. What's happening in Europe, one of the pieces of the puzzle, you know, is the ten toes and the ten leaders. And, and when the European Union came about, that when it reached ten nations, everybody's going, there it is, the ten toes. And then all of a sudden, there's 12 nations. And then there's 14. And there's 20-some now. And, and the thought is, what's with the ten? What, what does that have to do? How's it going to, the ten leaders come out of that revived Roman Empire that Daniel chapter 2 speaks about and Daniel chapter 7, where the Antichrist was rise out of and all of a sudden we're hearing talk with some of the new leadership in Europe is that we have a plan for 10 leaders absolutely amazing so everything as you watch it is culminating to where the Lord is allowing to where it's going to usher in the second coming of Jesus Christ and so we belong to another kingdom, the kingdom of God. And here God is saying, Shennacherib, I've allowed you to do this, but I'm going to deal with you. I know where you live, and I want to put my hook in your nose and my bridle in your lips, and you're going to turn back the way in which you came. In verse 30, this shall be a sign to you. Now he's speaking back to Hezekiah. You shall eat this year such as grows of itself. In the second year, what springs from the same. Also the third year sow and reap, plant vineyards, and eat the fruit of them. And the remnant who have escaped of the house of Judah shall again take root downward and bear fruit upward. For out of Jerusalem shall go a remnant, and those who escape from Mount Zion, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. And so the message is given that it will be tough for uh, a couple years, but some things will return to where you're able to plant and harvest and sow and, and to reap. And then verse 33, Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning the king of Assyria, he shall not come into this city, nor shoot an arrow there, nor come before it with shield, nor build a siege mound against it. And by the way that he came, by the 
same shall he return. And he shall not come into this city, says the Lord, for I will defend this city to save it for my own sake and for my servant David's sake. So the Lord says this, that Hezekiah, listen, not a single arrow is going to come in. He's not going to, you know, build a siege against the, the city itself or build a mound against the wall. Um, he's going to end up returning back to Nineveh. And I'm going to defend this city. Not the Egyptians, not the Ethiopians, not any other nations. But it's going to be me that's going to defend this city. You know, it's interesting when we read about that, that you know, I'm going to put uh, a hook in your nose, that the time is coming and the stage is getting set as, as we're looking at what's going on in the Middle East. And and in our prophecy update that we did at the beginning of the year, Ezekiel 38 and 39, with this confederation of nations that will come against Israel. And some of the same wording that we have seen given to Hezekiah is used in the book of Ezekiel that he saw this invading army coming against Israel 2,700 years ago. And we've talked about the alliances that are there with Russia and, and Iran and Turkey taking the lead and, and also with, uh, with Sudan and Libya that are all a part of that, this massive invasion into Israel. And Israel is not going to get any help. There's going to be a protest on behalf of Saudi Arabia and the young lines of Tarshish. And, and we don't know exactly who the young lines of Tarshish is, but it may be a reference to the United States. It's a little vague. We don't know for sure. But it's interesting that, that Israel finds itself alone can't make any alliance with any other nations. And the Lord says that they will know that I am the Lord and my glory is going to be revealed. And I'm going to put a hook in their mouths and I will defend it. And the world's going to see that truly that I am the Lord. And it's interesting phraseology that is here. So we know that the Lord gives the promise that I'm going to defend the city. And how does he do it? Well, verse 36, And the angel of the Lord went out and killed of the camp of the Assyrians 185,000. And when people arose early in the morning, there were the corpse all dead. So Shennacherib, king of Assyria, departed and went away and returned home and remained at Nineveh. Now it came to pass as he was worshiping in the house, house of Nishrach, uh, his god, and his sons Adramalek, and Shazer struck him down with the sword, and they escaped in the land of Ararat. And then Esharhaddon, his son, reigned in his place. He goes back. Can you imagine? Here's Shennacherib. Who's this God? Who's this God that Hezekiah is telling you to trust in? Well, you just met him. The true and the living God. Now listen, he sends one angel. Not an archangel. We don't know if this is Michael. It just says an angel that wipes out 185,000 Assyrian soldiers in one night. What is interesting here in this is that the people were asleep and they arose. They awoke. They were sleeping that night. They were at rest. And they arose and all of a sudden all this corpse, as far as you can see, of 185,000 soldiers that were killed by one angel. One angel. You remember in the garden when they came to arrest Jesus and Peter pulled out a sword and he swung it and he got Malchus? Now Luke, being a doctor, tells us that he got Malchus' right ear cut it off, which means that Malchus, forensic scientists tell us, was probably 
fleeing, getting away. And here is Peter right-handed, and he was going for his head, trying to cut his head off. I always wondered, you know, if Peter would have cut his head off, if Jesus would have picked it up and put it back on. I don't know. I just think of things like that when I lay at night. So, you know, he put his head on, healed it. That would have been quite a miracle. <laughs> Meditate on the word day and night, Joshua. You'll be successful. So that's what I do. I lay at night and think about things like that. Peter put the sword away. Don't you know I can call down 12 legions of angels? Legion 6,000, 12 times 6 is 72,000 angels. This is one angel. Can you imagine what 72,000 angels could do? But Jesus didn't. Because I'm going to take on the cup of suffering and death as we discuss in our Hebrew study. And Peter put the sword away. And Jesus could have simply just spoke and 72,000 angels. I imagine up in the heavenly scene that 72,000 angels with the swords in their sheaths are just, as they come, and, and they, they're grabbing Jesus, and they're just flinching, just waiting for the word. Come on, you know. But Jesus didn't because of his love for you. And I'm going to suffer and die for you because I love you. I love you, Peter. I love these soldiers all of Jerusalem. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And he knew all about you 2,000 years later. And he went to that cross to die for your sins because of his love for you. And if there's one thing that I pray that we would never forget and always remind each other of this, that God's great love for us and as Jesus hung on that cross, I am thoroughly convinced that it was you that was on his heart and on his mind. And then Jesus would cry out, it is finished. I've done the work, I've paid the price for sinful humanity. And as we really think about that, and as we in a few chapters, we're going to read how the suffering Messiah was marred more than any other man. He proved his love for us that while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us, Paul writes in Romans chapter 5. And, and if he proved his love for us then, know that he loves you now and that he hears you and he sees you and he desires to be your refuge and your strength, whatever it is that you may be going through. Shanacharib, can you imagine how he felt seeing all his soldiers dead? He goes back to Nineveh that they may know that my name is glorified, that I am the Lord. Shennacherib goes into the house of his false god. His you know, sons come in and kill him. He's done, over with. You see, historically, th that didn't happen a week later. It happened years later. Some suggest that it happened 20 years after this event when Shennacherib was killed by his sons. For 20 years, if that's true, whatever time it was, Shennacherib, he had to be thinking, man, what happened that the God of Israel is the true God of Israel? I mean, in one night, 185,000 of my soldiers were killed, and God's glory was revealed, but yet he hardened his heart to where he went back to his idols. I pray if there's anybody that you're here tonight, 
and the Lord is speaking to you, open up your heart to the Lord. Don't harden your heart to him. And you see, the glory of the Lord is revealed in us. Change lives. The reality of Jesus in our hearts as we're loving other people. And I pray that we would be that instrument of light and, and love to others and, and an instrument of truth to give to others. And that we would pray for those that we care about and that we know that, Lord, soften their hearts, that they can just, Lord, sense your presence and take the blindness away, that they would open up their lives and their hearts to you. Shennacherib didn't. So here the Lord amazingly saves Jerusalem. In verse, or verse 1 of chapter 38, in those days Hezekiah was sick and near death. And Isaiah, the prophet, the son of Amaz, went to him and said to him, Thus says the Lord, set your house in order, for you shall die and not live. We know again that Hezekiah is about 39 years old. 2 Kings chapter 18, verse 2 tells us. And he becomes very sick. And Isaiah comes to him and says, Get your house in order because you're going to die. I like what old J. Vernon McGee said concerning this, that if you knew that if the Lord came to you and said that, you know, you're going to go home. This is it for you. You're going to die. What would be going through our minds? What would we be thinking about? I know that we'd be thinking of family and things like that. But my point is this. Would we think, Lord, I've wasted so much time. I've been so distracted with the things of the world. Would we have regrets? And you recall that it was Jesus that told the parable of a rich you know, man that, that was blessed of the Lord and had many goods. And he said, I'm going to tear down my barns and I'm going to build bigger barns and I'm going to eat, drink, and be merry. I'm going to take my ease. And it was the Lord that said, this, fool, this night your life is going to be required of you. And you see, the tragedy of that man's life was not that he was blessed, uh, but Jesus said the tragedy was he wasn't rich towards God. Listen, tomorrow isn't promised to any of us. We have today. And what I hope and pray is that we would prioritize him in our lives. That we would look to him. That we would live for him. Desire to be used of him. And we can get distracted by the cares of life and the things of life, the hobbies of life, even as we've discussed those things as we run our race, the, the things that weigh us down, the, the sin that so easily ensnares us. But I know for me, and it's a real challenge for me, because I know that, Lord, you want to do more in my life, and, Lord, you're not done with me. But I think about the times that I waste, and I think about, you know, how, Lord, uh, if I could have just been Really, Lord, just focus more in coming to you. And I think that all of us have that because we're mere men. We're ones that we're but dust and, and none of us are perfect at all. But I don't want to waste a lot of time. I want to prioritize him. Even as Paul would come along and he would say that you redeemed the time for the days are evil. Listen, prioritize him. And I'm sure that all of us can look back and, and we think, Lord, this period of time that I wasted or the years that the locusts have eaten, put it under the blood of Jesus and say, this day, I want you to be the priority in my life and of my time.
Lord, of my resources, of my giving, to know you, to prioritize you and keep my eyes on the things above. Hezekiah, get your things in order. You're going to die, not live. And then Hezekiah turned his face towards the wall and prayed to the Lord and said, Remember now, O Lord, I pray now how I walked before you in truth and in a loyal heart and have done what is good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. Hezekiah wept. He turned his face to the wall. It means that it was an intense prayer. He's afraid. He's pleading with the Lord. He's asking God to extend his life on the basis of his faithfulness unto the Lord. You've got to remember, he's under this covenant that if you walk with me and you believe in me, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to help you, deliver you from your enemies. If not, then it's going to be bad news. We base our relationship based on his grace. We can give him our desires. We give him our wants. But it's based on his grace. In spite of us. People sometimes will also ask me, can I ask for healing? Hezekiah is asking for it from the Lord. And we can ask for healing. We can ask for healing. James says that if you're sick, call for the elders. and Have them anoint you with oil for the healing of the sick. Jesus said, ask, please ask that your joy may be full. We know in the Gospels that there were people that came to Jesus and he said, they said, Lord, heal me. Open my eyes. The, the leper who was full of leprosy, uh, Lord, are you willing? Cleanse me. And Jesus said, I'm willing and reached out and touched them and healed them immediately. The Lord desires for us to come to him. And as we cry out, Lord, are you willing? Lord, Lord, cleanse me, heal me. Whatever is on your heart, the Lord hears you and sees you. Now, he doesn't heal us every time. But we can trust him in what he's doing in our lives. And we can go to him and we can ask. Prayer is so powerful and, and, and we can trust that he's going to do what is best in eternity's values and views. And so here he's praying for that. And in verse um, 5 or 4, uh, the word of the Lord came to Isaiah saying, Go and tell Hezekiah, thus says the Lord God, the God of David, your father, I have heard your prayers and I've seen your tears. Surely I will add to your days 17 or 15 years. And I will deliver you uh, and this city from the hand of the king of Assyria and I will defend this city. So this happens before chapter 36, before he def- God defends Uh, Jerusalem. Uh, Tell Hezekiah I'm going to extend his life 15 years and that I'm going to defend the city from the Assyrians. Now, 15 years, it's interesting. There's a lot of theological debate concerning God's perfect will versus God's permissive will. All kinds of debate, endless debate about it. All I know is that his ways are perfect and I want to be in his will, not my will. And even as Jesus prayed that, Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. That's the prayer of faith, isn't it? And that should be the prayer of every believer. Lord, not my will, but your will be done. Here's my wants. Here's my desires. I'm asking for healing. I'm asking for provision. I'm asking for strength, whatever it is. And we can go to a loving Father because we have relationship with him. But Lord, whatever it is, your promises are true, and I can trust in you. And Lord, I just want to be in your will. 
But in these 15 years that are extended, what happens? Well, we know that God ends up defending Jerusalem from the Assyrians. But also in those 15 years, Manasseh, Hezekiah's son, is born. Manasseh was the worst king of Judah ever had. 55 years plunges Judah deep into idol worship and burning their sons on the arms of Moloch, every kind of occultic practices. Um, they've done excavations in Jerusalem. You can see that where they found mountains of idols. And, and it was a terrible, terrible time. And the Lord says, because of the sins of Manasseh, Judah, you're going to go off into captivity by the Babylonians, which we're going to talk about in just a few minutes here in chapter 39. But you go and tell him that, that his life's going to be extended, and I will bring, verse 8, a shadow on the sundial and go down with the sun on the sundial of Ahaz 10 degrees backwards. So the sun returned 10 degrees on the dial by which it had gone down. Isn't that amazing? So in other words, it's going to be extended day. The sundial's going to go back 10 degrees. And you think, how did God do that? I mean, the earth is rotating at 1,000 miles an hour. If the earth just stopped and kind of backed it up, you'd think we all go flying off the earth. I don't know. But, or did he move the sun backwards? God can do whatever he wants. Remember Joshua's long day? He's the creator. And he says, I'm going to be a sign that the sundial is going to go back 10 degrees. Just as I extend the day, I'm going to extend your life, Hezekiah. That's going to be the sign. And this is the writing of Hezekiah, king of Judah, which had been sick and had recovered from his sickness. I said, in the prime of my life, I shall go to the gates of Sheol. I'm deprived of the remainder of my years. I said, I shall not see Ah. The Lord in the land of the living, I shall observe man no more among the inhabitants of the world. My lifespan is gone, taken me like from a shepherd's tent. I have cut off my life like a weaver. He cuts me off from the loom, from the day until night. You make an end of me. Verse 13, I have considered until morning like a lion, so he breaks all my bones. From day until night, you make an end of me like a crane or a swallow, so I chattered. I mourn like a dove. My eyes fail from looking. Looking upwards, O oh Lord, I am oppressed. Undertake for me. So what we see here is that um, you know uh, is he he's expressing whether he's sick, what it is that he's feeling. I don't want to go to Sheol. I want to see you, Lord. Uncertainty of Sheol, what it is. They were uncertain at that time. You and I, we can have certainty, right? Because to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord is the promise of Scripture given to you and to me as Christians. When we end this life, we're going to be with Jesus. And then as Jude says, he's going to present you faultless before his presence with exceeding joy. That's your future. And we're all going to stand before the Bema reward seat of Jesus Christ to be rewarded for what we have done for Christ. So you store up your treasures in heaven. And you serve him. Because I desire for all of us to hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. Even as Jesus said in the parable of the talents and the parable of the minus, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things. I'll make you ruler over many. Come enter into the joy of my Lord. And you see what we're doing here, this is kind of boot camp for us. Getting ready for when we're going to rule and reign with him. And there are rewards that are going to be given to us. The Bible declares it. Oh, we can't earn our salvation. 
We're not going to be judged for our sins. Jesus took that judgment. But there are rewards that are going to be given to you and to me. We have that certainty given to us in Scripture. We're going to see that rewards, the promise of that, is going to be given to us when we get to chapter 40. But here Hezekiah, he's unsure about Sheol and how am I going to praise you in the grave? But verse 15, what shall I say? He has both spoken to me and he himself has done it. I shall walk carefully all my years in the bitterness of my soul. Listen, I got that underline. I shall walk carefully all my years. Paul comes along and he writes in Ephesians chapter 5, make sure, Christian, that you are walking circumspectly, which means what? Carefully. Not unwise, again, not as fools, but redeeming the time for the days are evil. And I think that's a good reminder for all of us here tonight, even myself, that what we are to do is we are to walk carefully, not unwise, not as fools. And we have the word of God, the word of God that we have to help us in every area of our lives so we can live wisely and have that wisdom being worked out in our lives. We don't have to walk as fools. In verse 16, O Lord, by these things men live, and in all these things is the life of my spirit, so you will restore me and make me live. Indeed, it was for my own peace that I had great bitterness, and you have lovingly delivered my soul from the pit of corruption, for you have cast all my sins behind your back. It reminds me of Psalm 16 in that, that messianic psalm, speaking of Jesus' resurrection, for my soul shall not see corruption, and neither will yours or mine mind see corruption that we because Jesus Christ rose from the grave that we also will have that new resurrected body that will be given to you and to me when the trumpets blow and then verse uh, 17 indeed it was my own peace that I had great bitterness and you have lovingly delivered my soul from the pit of corruption you've cast all my sins behind your back for Sheol cannot thank you death cannot praise you those who go down to the pit cannot hope for your truth the living the living man he shall praise you as I do this day the father shall make known your truth to the children and so he's just praising God for extending his life. And then in verse 20, the Lord was ready to save me. Therefore, we will sing my song with string instruments all the days of our life in the house of the Lord. Now, Isaiah had said, let them take a lump of figs and apply it as a poultice on the boil and he shall recover. And Hezekiah had said, what is the sign that I shall go up to the house of the Lord? Again, the sign was the sundial that was turned back. But, you know, people today, they will say, you know, what's the sign? What's, what's the sign for me? This was a miracle indeed. It shows us that we can get medical help. Hey, this is what you do. Take the figs. You put it on the boils. But he's asking, what's the sign? Here's the sign. Just as Jesus was three days and three nights in the heart of the earth, he, he says, this is a sign, the sign of Jonah. Jonah, three days and three nights in the belly of a large fish, shall sail the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. You want a sign? It's the resurrection. It's going to be a sign given because it was the religious leaders who were saying, show us this fan, you know, sign. We want to see fire come from heaven. We want to see the kingdom of God ushered in. And he said, no sign is going to be given to you except for the sign of the resurrection. That's the sign that our soul will not see corruption. Tell people that Jesus is alive, that he rose from the grave. No other religious leader did that. 
That's what makes Christianity unique. That's what makes Jesus true and unique. Only Jesus Christ conquered sin and death by rising from the grave. No one else. Confucius, Muhammad, Buddha, any other religious leader, they're still in their tombs. There's an empty tomb in Jerusalem. And we can have confidence that Jesus Christ truly is the Lord because he sits at the right hand of the Father. He rose from the grave. And now we have the promise that we're not going to see corruption, that we're going to be resurrected as well, those new heavenly bodies. Chapter 39, at the time, Merodach uh, Baladin, the son of Baladin, king of Babylon, sent letters and presents to Hezekiah, for he heard that he had been sick and recovered. And Hezekiah was pleased with them and showed them the house of his treasuries, the silver, the gold, the spices, the precious ointment, and all his armory, all that was found among his treasures. And there was nothing in the house house at all in his dominion that Hezekiah did not show them. So here he's healed of this um, and these ambassadors come from from Babylon. Now at this time, again, this is about 700 BC, that Babylon was not a powerful empire. It was just a little empire that uh, really was um, no threat to the Assyrians, no threat to, to really Judah at this time. But here are the ambassadors. They come to congratulate Hezekiah for, um, for being healed of his sickness. So what does Hezekiah do? What Hezekiah does is he begins to show them everything. He shows them um, you know, all the, the, the treasuries of the temple, everything, the armory and all that. And you know what those ambassadors are doing? They're taking notes. One of the tricks of the enemy, we've been talking about one of the devices of Satan is flattery. He loves to use flattery at times. If he can't instill fear in you or intimidate, bully, whatever, deceive you, lie to you, he'll use flattery to try to get you off guard. Let your, you know, your guard down and, and all of this, and this is what's happening with Hezekiah. And these guys, they're taking notes. In verse 3, then Hezekiah the prophet went to King Hezekiah and said to him, What did these men say, and where did they come to you? And so Hezekiah said, They came from a far country, from Babylon. Oh, they came from this little, little place called Babylon. And he said, What have they seen in your house? So Hezekiah answered, They've seen all that is in my house. There is nothing among my treasures that I have not shown them. Hezekiah, who are these guys? Just some guys from Babylon. What do they want? They're going to congratulate me and tell me how great of a guy I am from being healed from the sickness. What did you show them? I showed them everything. And Isaiah, I imagine, as he's going to speak here to Hezekiah, he's not very happy. Because we do read that uh, Isaiah said to Hezekiah in verse 5, Hear the word of the Lord of hosts. Behold, the days are coming. When all that is in your house and what your fathers have accumulated until this day shall be carried to Babylon, nothing shall be left, says the Lord. And they shall take away some of your sons who will descend from you, whom you will beget, and they shall be eunuchs in the palace of King Babylon. So Hezekiah said to Isaiah, The word of the Lord which you have spoken is good, for he said, At least there will be peace and truth in my days. Here is Isaiah, and he says, Listen, these guys are taking note of everything that you're doing and the day is going to come that they're going to come and they're going to take these treasuries away and they're going to take the fine men of Judah, the finest men, and they're going to make eunuchs. And of course, that would happen with who? Daniel. Daniel is one of them and his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. 
and they're going to be taken off into captivity. And what's the response of Hezekiah? His response was, oh, Isaiah says, it's not going to be in your day. Oh, good. That's a good thing. At least I'll live in peace. I think Hezekiah was being selfish here. At least it doesn't bother me, you know. Listen, for all of us, parents and grandparents, the the greatest thing that we can do is leave a godly legacy and inheritance to our children. And the great thing that we can do as a church is, again, investing in our young people. Then we don't say that, well, you know, we're just going to kind of worry about today. We have today. I understand that. But we want to invest in our young people because I don't want them to be carried off into captivity by all the deception in the world and all the the junk that's going on in our culture. We want to invest in them. We want to be concerned about the future. And again, as I've explained before, we see churches die because they're not given a reason for their young people to come and investing in them and praying for them, for the next generation. Listen, those of us that are older, God's still going to use us. We have wisdom to give. I still got bark left in me. But we also want to invest in the younger people in the next generation. Because I don't know when the Lord's coming back. He could come back very, very soon. He can come back tonight for all I know. We don't know the day or the hour. But he could tarry as well. And I pray that Calvary Chapel would be used here in these days, however long the Lord's going to tarry. And that we would invest in our young people. That we wouldn't say, well, you know, I got a few years and that's it. And don't have to worry about anything else. It'll be over for me. That's not the right attitude. I am concerned for how our young people, what it is that you guys are going to face. How difficult it's going to be. So we want to be here to pray for you and equip you in every way that we can. Because we're coming full circle now. Because I really believe that he's going to use you guys in these last days before the coming of the Lord. I really do. In a powerful way, but it's not going to be easy. Because the Assyrians are going to be knocking on your door. The enemy, that is. And he's going to try to bully and intimidate every way that he can. So we want to be here to pray for you and bless you and encourage you. Please know this. That he wants to do exceedingly abundantly above all that you ask or think. And he wants to do more with your life than you'll ever be able to do just in your own strength, in your own wills, in your own togetherness. And I'm going to do my own thing. Just surrender to the Lord. Let him take you where he wants to take you and to go where he wants you to go and to be all that he wants you to be. And marvel how God wants to use you in a powerful way to really make your life count for him. And we that are older, hey, we're going to keep running our race, but we're going to be here to encourage you and to bless you because we love you. And I want this church to continue. I don't want this church to die. It isn't about me. It isn't about when my race is over, if the Lord tarries, that all of a sudden the church just fades away. That I believe that the best is yet to come in what the Lord wants to do. I really do. So, hey, let's keep running our races we talked about on, on Sunday that is set before us. Fix our eyes on Jesus. And let's see what he does. Because I know it's going to be amazing.
So, Father, we thank you. We thank you for this lesson tonight. I know it's a little long, and, but, Lord, we just thank you that we can be here to study these chapters and learn from them and make application for our own lives. And so, Father, may we just continue to fix our eyes upon you, to live in eternity's values and perspectives, to trust in you and come to you. And, Lord, we know that the enemy is working overtime. He doesn't like us growing. He doesn't like this church growing. He doesn't like us drawing close to you, being used of you. So he will attack and try to intimidate and bully. But we know that greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. So I pray for all of us that we would just continue on with you, Lord. Set our eyes on you. And Lord, I thank you for the work that you've done here. We rejoice and give you the glory, but you want to do so much more with all of us. And Lord, I pray for our young people that are being pulled in so many different directions that they would know that you want to use them. You want to use them in a powerful way. And Lord, they have so much that comes against them. All of us do, but... We want to encourage them and bless them, Lord, strengthen them, that they know that you want to use them in these days, this generation. Father, I just pray that we will remember your love in sending your son to die for us on Calvary's cross. And Lord, he did that because he proved his love, provided forgiveness. that he's provided eternal life and access to you, relationship with you, that only comes through him. So I pray if there's anyone that's here or listening on live stream or later on the radio that you've never given your life to Jesus, when he took that cross, he did it because he loves you to die for your sins. And he died for your sins. He cried out, it is finished. I've done the work. I paid the price. He was put into a tomb. He rose again. He is your salvation. There is none other. So if you're listening to this message and you've never surrendered your life to Jesus, you can't save yourself. A church can't save you. You can't be good enough. Jesus is your salvation. He is the way, the, the life, the truth. He is the way to the Father. There is none other. And the Bible says that you have sinned and separate yourself from God. The wages of sin is death. But Jesus is our mediator that came and died in place of you and for you and died for your sins. He came to bring life. And now you just trust in him and believe in him. The Bible says to repent, turn to Jesus, and call out upon him for salvation and forgiveness. Today is the day of salvation. Will you do that? You're not going to find hope in this world, true hope or lasting satisfaction and fulfillment. It only comes as Jesus gives life, an abundant life, a life that is blessed, a new beginning, born of the Spirit of God. He's calling you. Will you come? And you can pray right where you are that, Jesus, I come and I ask that you forgive me of my sins. I believe you died on the cross for me that you rose again, you're speaking to me through the word in a still small voice, and now I ask that you would be my personal Lord and Savior. 
forgive me. I turn to you and I surrender my life to you now. And I want to know you and walk with you. And I thank you for this new beginning. And I thank you for hearing my prayer in Jesus' name. And if anybody by chance you're here and you prayed that.